This sermon theme is taken from Joseph's perspective. I hope it's a boy. To, uh, to undergird this, I wanted to share a reading from the Christmas Gospel, which is uh, from John chapter 1, um, the first three verses of John 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, can, he existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. Let me focus us around that third verse. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. My father grew up with four brothers and sisters. They were born during the Depression, and after the time of the Depression, my dad was a post-Depression baby. But the farm life, they lived on a small farm in northern Iowa, the farm life that they experienced was a very austere farm life. There was not much money to go around. Christmas was a festive event, but it was very limited. And so dad would say how um, they would go out on Christmas Eve, and that was during a time when you didn't um, purchase your Christmas tree or pull it out of the closet, but you actually went out into your fields, found a fir tree, and cut it down. So it was Christmas Eve day when they would pick out the tree, bring it home, and decorate it. And then they would celebrate Christmas for 12 days, like the song. And then Epiphany would be the finale of Christmas. Good German Lutherans. That's how they experience their worship. And so dad said that because funds were always limited, there were oftentimes no Christmas presents for them as children. And if there was, it would be a gift of socks. One year in particular that my father remembered um, with so much grateful love was the year that he turned five. He got a baseball mitt signed by one of the Chicago Cubs players. And so my dad, for the remainder of his life, was a diehard Cubs fan, even though he lived in Northwest Iowa. So Christmas in my household was dramatically different. Dad didn't want us to experience the austerity that he had experienced. So mom and dad pulled out all the stops for Christmas. I mean, the house was decorated on the inside. The house was decorated on the outside. And it wasn't 12 days of Christmas. It was from Thanksgiving on. We had Christmas nonstop. We baked cookies together. We built puzzles together. It was a time of family, a time of of consumerism because we bought presents. <clears throat> the stores were open one night a week when I was a kid. Thursday nights was, was the nights they were open, and so dad and mom would take us down with our allowances that we had saved and 
They would help us create a budget, a dollar for your brothers, two for your mother, and nothing for your father. (laughs) And so we would go and buy our, our Christmas presents for everyone. And then we would come home and um, wrap them all, put them under the tree. By Christmas Eve, the tree was filled with Christmas presents. I mean, you know that, that section between the skirt level and, and the bottom of the tree? And we had an artificial tree, so it went up pretty high. That was always filled, I mean, completely filled with gifts. And mom and dad were going to make sure that Christmas was always an extravagant celebration for their family, for us. And that's, that's what it was. And I remember we had Christmas Eve worship. There was always an early service at 7, but we waited to go to the 11 o'clock candlelight service. We would finish up with the candlelight service, and Dad would say, well, let's drive around and look at some of the lights that people have put up on their houses. And so we would do that for probably an hour, and then we'd go home, and lo and behold, guess what? Santa Claus had come. We'd be so excited, we'd be running to our stockings to see what Santa had brought us. And then we'd find the presents that Santa had brought us. And then we would sit around the living room, around the Christmas tree, and we would savor each present. So, I mean, there wasn't this mad rush of opening presents, everybody at the same time in my household. No, you went one gift at a time per person. Everybody took their turn, and you didn't want to lose that moment, so you savored every second of that experience. So we'd finish opening presents around 4.30 in the morning. (laughs) And then we'd go to bed so that we could be up and at them for Christmas Day. Very different experience than what my parents had experienced in their childhoods. I remember going to my grandparents' farm, and even they had been transformed by some of the commercialism because they always had extra presents with grandparents for, uh, from grandparents. And as a newer grandparent, I understand that now. I get it. And so when we would celebrate, I mean, it would be from German... Christmas carols to Santa and the sleigh bells. I mean, the whole thing. Dad always made sure that not only was Santa a big part of our Christmas, but the biblical story was also a big part of our service, a part of our family experience. So we would, on Christmas Day, read before dinner the second chapter of Luke the gospel, the Christmas story as a family. So when I went away to college, I, I kind of remember thinking I'm going to start moving ahead, trudging into life on my own. How am I going to experience life? What am I going to create in terms of my family? What traditions will be important? And a lot of the traditions that I wanted to carry on came from what I had received from my parents. So I went away to this private Lutheran college, and they had an interesting curriculum structure that was called the 414 calendar. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but it's two semesters of four months 
um, one in the beginning and one at the end, and then there's a middle month of January where you studied one class for that one month, four to five weeks, and it was an intensive experience, an intensive course, and uh, you got full semester credit at the end of the month for that one class. So I remember signing up for classes, you know, in August and thinking, you know, I've never, I've always loved stargazing, but I've never had any kind of, kind of astronomy class. So they offered an astronomy class during, during this interim period. So I, I registered for that. What I didn't realize was that we would spend much of our time out on top of the Science Center building in January at midnight looking into the stars. Not the smartest move. So my second year, I thought, well, i got to get smarter and find a class that will be indoors. So I found a class that I thought sounded interesting to me. It was the heritage of Lutheranism in the prairies. Who wouldn't want to study that, right? And so I signed up for that course and spent my whole January interim that year trudging through snowy fields and country roads, going to these small little country Lutheran churches that were built with Swedish architecture, Norwegian architecture, Finnish architecture, German architecture. It was cold. So by the time I was a junior, I'm a slow learner in case any of you are wondering. By the time I was a junior, I kind of figured out it's probably not the smartest thing to take a class here. And so I was looking at options, and some friends of mine were in a Christian outreach team. I loved to sing. I was a part of the concert choir back then in college. And so I was visiting with them, and they said, hey, we'd love to have you join our outreach team for interim. We're, uh, it's a religion course. You get a religion credit. But basically, we're going to read some books that the chaplain has recommended, write a journal about it, and then we're touring California and Arizona for the month of January. I said, sign me up. So we all smushed into this 12-passenger van and headed west. And we toured throughout Northern California and the cold and the rain and then to Southern California and to Disneyland area, Anaheim. Then we moved to Arizona and spent some time here in the valley, singing at churches, working with youth groups, promoting... Augustana College, and then we wander our way back home. I thought that was a pretty good experience. I got to remember to do something like that again next year. So when the time came for course enrollment for my senior year, what I discovered was that they were um, options where you could study abroad, and they would take your room board and your tuition room and board expenses that you'd already paid for January and translate that into your overseas experience. So basically, all you paid for was your airfare. So my parents gave me consent to go ahead and to do that, and I signed up for a course to study in Israel. Actually, two courses, Politics and Religion of Israel. So I was all set to spend my January interim, my senior year in Israel. That summer before, I met the love of my life, Yes, if you're wondering, it is Patty. And uh, <laughs> uh, it was an interesting experience because 
going to Bible camp, you have all these, back then, a lot of men that were in camp counselors that were preparing to go to sem seminary, and, and I was taking New Testament Greek for my college uh, requirement of foreign language, and uh, so I put up a little sign, if anybody's looking for somebody to do some Greek studies, I didn't want to lose my Greek over the summer, and, and so I thought one of the guys would certainly sign up. None of them signed up, but Patty did. <laughs> she was taking Greek at her college. So uh, we ended up studying together, and, and uh, she got interested in, as I talked about, going to Israel, and she signed up and ended up going as well. So um, we spent January in Israel, and I was so excited because you know, to be able to trace the footsteps of Jesus, um, what an amazing experience, right? To be able to see where he was born, to see where he ministered up in Galilee, uh, where he was in Jerusalem, where he suffered, where he was crucified, died and buried. And uh, so I was just, it was like an exhilaration when we got there. The first day we went around the wall of the old city in Jerusalem because our hotel was right at the old city. And then I remember, I think it was about the next day or two, we were going to go to Bethlehem to see the birthplace of Jesus. And, you know, I was so excited because Dad had always had these nativity scenes built for us as kids. The wooden manger, the feed trough, you know, inside the wooden creche, the, the little protective stable around it and the Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, but Jesus not in the manger until Christmas. So if you have your Jesus in the manger, take him out, put him in there tomorrow night. So as we went to Bethlehem, we were on this bus, we got off the bus um, at the Church of the Nativity. It's a great big open courtyard, um, but we were inundated with all these children selling things like postcards and figurines and ornaments and knickknacks and food. And it was just like um, overwhelming the amount of commercialism that, that we encountered when I'm sitting there thinking, no, this isn't what it's supposed to look like. But we get into the church. <clears throat> the church door entrance is about this tall. And... Uh, <clears throat> no, they weren't shorter back then. Um, I mean, they were shorter, but they weren't that short. And uh, the reason the church door is that tall is, or, or that short is because um, they needed a way to prohibit the, um, uh, the Turks from riding their horses into the church. So they <laughs> lowered the doors. So you had to crouch to get in. So you go inside, and it's very big, expansive, and very dark. And as... You stand inside the cathedral, it's beautiful, um, ornate eggs suspended with these candles over the top. The eggs keep the rats from crawling up and eating or drinking the, the, the oil. <laughs> and uh, there's a method to everything, engineers, remember that. Um, and so the, the experience was just beautiful. The smells, you know, the darkness, it began to feel like, uh, unlike the commercial onslaught outside, it began to feel like maybe this could be where Christ was born. And then I w walked 
down this hallway. We walked this narrow stairwell downstairs. And as we got downstairs, I was looking for the wooden manger, and it wasn't there. There's a big brass star over a hole on the floor. <laughs> and, and I looked around, and, and there's no wooden stable. And there's certainly no animals in this place. You can barely get yourself in there, let alone an animal. And as I looked around, I thought, this isn't the birthplace of Jesus. It doesn't even have a manger. But what I realized through our studies was that what you read in the Scriptures does not always get translated accurately. Because Jesus most likely wasn't born in a wooden manger, in a stable. He was born in a cave. That's what this is. It's a hole in the wall of a cave. It was not what I had imagined. It was not what I had pictured. And so my whole worldview, I mean, <laughs> I am a pastor. My whole worldview was turned upside down. It may not be traumatic for you, but for me, it was life-changing. I had to rethink what I knew about Jesus because of his birth story isn't being portrayed accurately. What else isn't being portrayed accurately? It wasn't what I had imagined. Have you ever imagined something one way? and then gone on to discover that it's completely different from what you had imagined? Maybe it's not a Christmas scene for you. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you thought this person was going to be with you the rest of your life, and then they ended up walking away. Have you ever imagined your life one way? The college that you were going to attend, the degree that you would receive, the job that you would get, the promotions that would come along your way, the bonuses, but then it didn't always work out that way? It wasn't what you had imagined. Well, where did we get what we had imagined in the first place? And what do we do with that? I mean, for me, the nativity scene that I had imagined probably was more formative from Hallmark than it was from Scripture. And so when you think about your imagination, what you are picturing, is it the same as what God has created? I had to change my perspective on how I imagined Christmas happening once I got to the place of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem and saw that the place doesn't have much lumber, but it does have a lot of caves and a lot of stone. The good thing, I guess, is that God doesn't have to imagine anything because God created everything 
God created Bethlehem. God created the caves. God created the shepherds and the angels. And God created Jesus. Remember those words? Nothing was created except through him. Nothing. Even the birth of this child of Mary. Mary was betrothed to a righteous man. His name was Joseph. And to understand this in a little different context, because how we understand engagement and marriage today is, is probably a little bit different than the way they understood it in the days of Jesus. A betrothal in Jesus' day meant that you actually were married, but you didn't come and live together because the husband, Joseph, would owe a financial dowry to the bride's family. And so the marriage would begin, but it would not be consummated until the dowry was paid in full. So the period of time when the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary is most likely this period of time where Joseph would be paying for a dowry. It says in the scriptures that they were not together. They were not together. But Joseph learns of the pregnancy. And so he, being a righteous man, you see, an unrighteous man would put Mary into public shame. But he is a righteous man, and so he does not want to shame her. He does not want to disgrace her. He wants to dismiss the marriage, divorce Mary, but he wants to do it quietly so that they are not making a scene. And so he has resolved this in his own mind. He has decided that this is what he must do. And so he goes to bed that night. And that night he has a dream. And as he dreams, an angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him that what he has imagined is not accurate. What he has imagined about Mary is not true. This is what the angel says in verses 20 to 23. As he, Joseph, considered this, the aspect of dismissing the marriage, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. This is from the prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Emmanuel. God is with us. Joseph had to reimagine what God had in store 
what the creation of this baby would mean, not just for him, but for the whole world. He had to reimagine it. Hence, I think he might have thought those very words, I sure hope it's a boy. Because that is what the angel had promised. As Joseph learns to trust, I think he can teach us a thing or two about trust, especially those of us who have experienced broken promises, broken trust. You see, when we imagine our life one way and it goes another way, we have to change our perspectives as well. Because otherwise, we will be drawn into an experience of mistrust, doubts, questions that lead nowhere with hope. God didn't teach us to just trust God. God wants us to learn to trust one another as well. You see, we are called to trust like we are called to love. God told us that we are to love the Lord our God above all things, right? And then we're also to love our neighbors as ourselves. As a friend of mine once told me, he said, Steve, I have no problem loving God. It's my neighbor that I'm a little weak on. But God calls us to trust in our neighbor, in our friends, in our spouses, in our children, in our parents. We are called to trust. Does that mean that we will never experience heartbreak? No. You will always experience moments of disappointment, wounds that, that go so deep. After all, humans are untrustworthy, are they not? Maybe we should begin with ourselves. I'll begin with me. I am untrustworthy. But God, God is worthy of our trust. And he's called us not to just trust God, but also to trust our neighbors, those whom we are in relationship with. So when you experience that pain of disappointment, you're reminded that you are not alone in your disappointment. For Isaiah helps us to understand this when he says that this child who is born of the virgin will be called Emmanuel, which means God, you know this, God is with us. God is with us. God is with you. God is with you. When you experience the hurt, 
of broken relationships, God is with you. When you might have a crisis of faith, God is with you. God will not leave you, will not abandon you, because he is Emmanuel, God who is with us. Amen.